Welcome back to uh, the Good Trash Garbage Shoot. Uh, quick reviews from us here at the Good Trash Studios, looking at new releases that are either recent released in theaters or, or about to hit theaters. And uh, uh, we've got a double-decker for you today. Uh, I am Arthur Gordon, and I am joined by... Hi, it's me, Dalton Stewart. That's right. Uh, we've we've uh, I, I recently got uh, into that uh, Oklahoma Film Critics Circle. I, I got into that, and so uh, we've... We're and inundated with screeners. We're big time now. Uh, yeah, so uh, Dalton and I are going to talk about a pair of movies we've recently watched uh, that'll be coming out uh, in the coming uh, days by the time you're hearing this. Uh, one will be available on Netflix, so we're going to be taking a look at uh, Sarah Pauly's Women Talking, uh, and uh, as well as uh, Noam Baalbach's White Noise. So uh, we will uh, go through these. We're just going to give you quick thoughts on these if we uh, like them, dislike them, and whether or not we think you should go check them out uh, so you can make those decisions. Uh, as always, uh, I, I always think it's important for you to make your own decisions. So uh, listen to us and then watch the movie and see if you agree or disagree. That's right. Much like LeVar Burton, you do not have to take our word for it. Exactly. Uh, so we will get started. We're going to kick things off. We're going to talk about Women Talking. Uh, Women Talking is based on the best-selling novel by Miriam Toes, uh, titled Women Talking. And it follows a group of women in an isolated religious colony as they struggle to reconcile their faith with a series of sexual assaults committed by the colony's men. Uh, again, this is directed by Sarah Polly, who has had a pretty prolific uh, film career as an actress. This is her fourth feature film, following Away From Her, Take This Waltz, and Stories We Tell. Uh, it's got a pretty strong ensemble cast, led by Rooney Mara. It's also got Jesse Buckley, Francis McDormand, Claire Foy, and Ben Wishaw, to name a few. Um, runs an hour and 45 minutes. It is PG-13, uh, mainly for content. Uh, very minor language. Uh, there are a couple of instances, uh, a couple jokes. It's pretty funny F-bomb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but mainly it's the content. Sure. As the synopsis alludes to. But a gentle film. Yeah. Considering the content. It really is. Uh, and then release date, this is going, I believe, uh, in New York and L.A. already. Uh, but it goes into limited release on December 23rd. And this is coming at us from Orion and United Artists. So that's the setup. Dalton, what did you think of Women Talking? Well, uh, I'm very glad we, we got to catch this one when we did, Arthur. You know, um, your your new fit membership into the film critic circle is definitely allowing us uh, the opportunity to, to really do some some stuff we wouldn't normally get to do, which is really exciting because we probably won't get this until January. Correct. Um, this is going to be That's a small I release. I mean, this is, you know, MGM still owns United Artists, but, you know, it is one of their, their smaller arms as far as releasing goes. So we probably won't get this for a while. Um, but it, it was really... Really a treat to get to check this out early, um, just as far as you know, being be, getting getting to kind of get ahead of, of things. It's one I've been hearing about from the festival circuit for a while now, so I've really been anticipating yeah. it. I believe it debuted at Telluride. I'm Was not that Telluride? Okay, I would say I know it played Telluride. I know it played yeah. TIFF as well. I think yeah, which would make sense being a Canadian film. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been been making the rounds for a little bit now. Uh, I'll. Uh, <laughs> Do you watch Broad City, Arthur? I have not seen it. My my Becca's review, my wife's review, for those of you who don't know who Becca is, uh, was uh, a quote from Broad City, which is, women have been treated poorly in the past and up until now and including now. Hey, I'm just happy Becca's logging movies on Letterboxd. I am too. I, uh, she's one of our finest film critics. Yes, I, that has been, I, I saw her quick reviews yesterday and that was fun to see yeah yeah she she had started uh experimenting with it a while back and is getting back into it uh but yeah i 
it's it was very funny to to get her take on this because she's she's not as over the moon for this. I, I mm-hmm. said all that lead up to say I love this movie. Okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of this, uh, and I was I was kind of picking her brain just to see like what didn't work about it for her, uh, and um, for her it just kind of comes down to she's she's not a big fan of bottle movies. She okay. she likes a little bit more aesthetic um, variety. Yeah. Um, but that is one thing that I do feel like works here is Polly and in company really do make the most of that central setting. Uh, we really kind of explore that entire barn and hayloft, like really kind of all over the place. People are climbing up and down uh, different aspects of this barn. And so even though we are very isolated, both from the world at large and even from the community itself, we're kind of isolated with our, our lead cast in this barn, we get glimpses of the outside of the barn of, of the, the larger community through these kind of flashback moments of children playing often or or the women in the community you know kind of going about their business uh and then sometimes flashbacks to moments before the men have been sent to jail uh that's something we didn't mention is the, the the reason the women have had this chance to come together to figure out what they're going to do which is to do nothing to stay and fight mm-hmm. or to leave these are the options that they've decided upon for themselves. Um, all the men are gone because they went to bail everybody out of prison. Uh, all, the the men who did not go to jail uh, have left to take what money they've they've made amongst themselves uh, doing Mennonite things. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're going to bail everybody out. And Vin Wishaw, as far as we know, is like one of the only adult men who did not go. And it's, I mean, I guess, you know, try to keep this somewhat spoiler. This is a weird movie because spoilers are like a weird thing. I mean, we guess we could spoil the decision that is made, I guess, is the big thing. But yeah, Wishaw's character here, he's he's acting as essentially secretary recording the events mm-hmm. taking place, this conversation that takes place. I guess we should say that none of the women can read and write. Correct. And, and yes, they're not educated, educated in that same way. And he's college educated. So and there's this way there. in which he almost seems not necessarily exiled from the men, but he also doesn't seem to be in that same community of men in the, the women feel seem to seem somewhat safe around him. They've welcomed him here. They don't seem to have the same hardship toward him that they seem to. when speaking about the other men, he is single in so far as not in a romantic relationship with any of the women. He's kind of a non-biased party in that way. So he does have a unique relationship, I think with the women in this community, though, at least the ones he has sat down with sure. in this moment. Yeah. Because they, they, um, reach a tie early in the film. The, the yes. vote ends in a tie, and so they take three families come together to uh, make the deciding vote for, for all of the women. Uh, the great ballot that I think would make uh, voting more engaging for everybody uh, is that the options have been drawn out yeah, I love that. by an artist in the community, uh, which is fun a little bit because, again, they can't read or write, and so they have uh, resorted to symbology. Really so cool very... moments of of these these drawings throughout the film. Uh, both the ballot that actually gets cast, but somebody I, I forget if it's multiple characters or it's just the one younger character. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, but there's yeah, there's drawings that are being produced throughout the film, and we get a couple of shots of them. And that's one thing I really like. Polly's camera here, her and her cinematographer um, are just kind of letting that camera float around. Often, I mean, we, we stay with these core group of women talking throughout most of the film, but again, there are these kind of poetic interludes where the camera will sort of explore the barn. And I just, I found those like really effective as far as creating a, a, a feeling of, I don't know, like a, a lived in realness, you know, letting that barn feel like a real place. Uh, Luc Montpellier, Montpellier. Mm. I don't know that the cinematographer on the top sure. of my head, but uh, yeah, I thought it really looked good. I like the look of this movie. Okay. Really desaturated color yes. palettes, d- damn close to black and white. Yes. And I, I think it really works, you know, this kind of very stark, 
representation of what's going on. Um, that's, I don't know, there's a really fine tightrope being walked here of lyricism and poetry and realism and starkness. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it, it, it takes, it's taking everything very seriously. Uh, but it, that kind of undersells how funny the movie is as well. Like there's yeah. quite a few jokes. Um, one of my favorite lines of the movie is I think people laugh as hard as they want to cry. And yeah. I, I think this movie does a really good job with it. I of expressing that idea. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, really just, uh, a masterclass truly. Uh, it was fun. There's a film at Lincoln center Q and a on, uh, mm. Spotify and wherever you cool. get your podcasts that I listened to, yeah. uh, with Sarah Polly and the cast. And they talked about it feeling more like putting a play up because yes. they, they were able to do a lot of, you know, work on dialogue scenes for yeah. days at a time with multiple cameras going and, you know, just trying to get coverage of, you know, who's talking and who's listening. And it was really interesting to kind of hear about their process. Uh, it sounded like it was from from the start, a very collaborative uh, project, which I love to hear that. You yeah. Know, always, always fun to hear that. Um, I don't know, man. It, it is one of those things where it's like metaphor is not a big enough word for what this movie's doing. Yeah. It is ostensibly about this Mennonite community, but I think it is about... I, it's about gender dynamics writ large. It's not just about this community. As a, you know, a film is never about the thing, right? Yeah. And I, I think, I don't know, this is, uh, to, to circle back to uh, my wife and I's kind of split opinions on this. So this is required viewing for men and very optional viewing for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, you're not a dude, you don't, you don't have to watch this, you know. <laughs> you're already aware yeah. if you're a member of a marginalized gender. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, th- th- there's definitely a... I don't know. That does kind of undersell the movie a little bit. I don't want you to go into this thinking it's going to be a hard watch because it's really not. It, I, gentle was the word I used earlier, and I, I think I stand by that despite some some pretty stark and shocking imagery right up top. It, it's it's surprising like how much of a groove it gets into as far as not not beating you up too much. That said, a lot of crying from me in this movie. Uh, so, you know, your mileage may vary as far as like how emotionally difficult you find it. But I was, I don't know, I was surprised at how how well it, uh, explored all of its subject matter without, you know, feeling too, because we've watched some pretty dire stuff, you and I. Uh, mm-hmm. We've covered some pretty harsh watches in our, our time podcasting together. And I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put this in that bucket. No. What, what about you? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely, it's no Nightingale, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's not that. It's not the act of killing. It's certainly not in that vein. But, I mean, uh, and they present uh, what is very a very harrowing situation uh, in a very palatable way, I think, is, is the way to look at that. Uh, I, I think I'd probably come down a little closer to the back on this. This was one, uh, it obviously, it very overly delivers on its title. It, it certainly is women talking yeah. for an hour and 45 minutes and very talented women. Uh, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, uh, Frances McDormand briefly. She just has a couple of small scenes here. Really, I think she's an executive producer, producer on this. She got the rights to the book. And so she's yeah. you know kind of there and kind of feels maybe not necessarily stunt casting, but I think her name on there, you know, obviously in the last few years, a, a powerhouse uh, in, in since probably three billboards, I think. I mean, she's won, what, two Oscars in the last five years or something like that. Um, so a very dynamic, I think, especially as far as feminism in mainstream film. 
she's she's kind of become at the forefront of that in some of her speeches and her presentation as a strong, powerful, independent woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and using that power from getting those two to Oscars. To make stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's really cool. But she doesn't have a lot here. You're probably going to see her most prominently named. But it, it really is Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, and a few others. Uh, who gets center stage here. And it is center stage. It is a very, as you mentioned, theatrical staged movie. I mean, this could very easily be a play because it is very minor sets, very small ensemble. And, and I think those things work, but it is, I mean, you have to kind of prepare yourself for monologue the movie because uh, it is a lot of people just getting a moment to emote and let their feelings out and grapple with a very deep idea of, do we stay Essentially, because it's not just stay and do nothing, it's stay and forgive, which is, I mean, that theological thing that undermines is the the, the major conceit is if we as women don't forgive the men, we may not get into heaven. And that's kind of the struggle for especially the older ones for Francis McDormand and others. It's, you know, we want to get into heaven. We need to forgive them and move on and forget it. And that's really the drama of, of what's playing out here. And I think that's something really interesting to wrestle with. I think for me though, where I bounce off of this is the thing that you mentioned is, I don't know who this is for. Mm, Okay. Because like you said, women, they know, they understand the, the metaphor that's playing out here. They, that, you know, like you said, the men that need to watch this, I think would be turned off by it because it is so theatrical and, and stagey, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you had a, 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 a man who enjoyed going to the theater and <laughs> watching a play and, and reading literature, you know, like yeah. of that mind. But I think certain people who really need to hear this message are going to would bounce hard off this movie because it is kind of not slow, I guess, but it, it's it's very much just people. To, it's a conversation for an hour and 45 minutes, and that can kind of be hard yeah. to engage with. It could have easily been a stage play, for yeah. sure. And I, I think, which I don't want to undersell how cinematic I find this movie, because I do think that there is, I mean, there's some real... I think they find ways. Malikian, if we want to yeah. put a word like that on it. But I, there's like a real like capturing of nature that, that the, like they, they, they really get into how close to nature this community is as far as living on the land and like living off the land that the sort of kind of communal farming ideal that so many people like whatever your your religious uh, affiliation is i think plenty of people are kind of drawn to this idea of a more agrarian lifestyle yeah and and there's definitely like the camera is is interested in in how these people live for sure now you've mentioned mennonite a couple of times but is that actually ever stated in no they never say it okay that's, and that was so i didn't deliberate. know if that came up somewhere else or uh that came up in the the um film at lincoln center q okay. i listened to yeah okay. um that is confirmed um okay our because um, I mean, it really is you know Amish adjacent, Quaker adjacent. Mm-hmm. Well, Miriam mm-hmm. Taos grew up in a Mennonite community, okay. Um, okay. and is, or at the very least, was in one at some time. Yeah. Um, so I, I did, I did hear that that the author of the novel, you know, is familiar with this, and it's yeah. as far as like the basis of the novel, it's coming from something that happened in a Bolivian Mennonite community. Yeah, uh, I guess. I, I I think there's a really smart way in which keeping a denomination out of that actually helps. I think. Yeah, totally, because it widens it up. Uh, into uh, uh, more accessible terms. And it's also really interesting because because of that Mennonite background, uh, you know, I think this is set in 2010, if I'm not mm, mistaken. Correct. So it, it really does kind of have this 
timelessness to it because it could be earlier and it could be newer. Like, I mean, I think there's some weird ways in which the vagueness of not having denomination and not really emphasizing time. We, we know there's a time because of when the census taker comes through. Yeah. But there's a way in which I think that helps benefit the overall impact of, of its message. Yeah, we're about, what, halfway through the movie when the census taker shows up to yeah, let us so. know what year it is? And it's kind of a break in that. I mean, that, and I think that's a good thing with the screenplay is there are plenty of breaks in that to give you time to breathe and, and let you have some laughs with the kids. Uh, I was kind of concerned for the kids when they went to meet the census taker. I thought that was going to go uh, south sure. quick. Interesting. The way that was kind of framed and set up, I was just kind of worried about their well-being because the census taker was a man, and uh, we just haven't had a lot of good luck with men in this movie. Sure. So uh, I don't know why. I was just kind of concerned for them because I didn't know where that was going to go when they go to meet him. I know the. I feel like the song really put me at ease. It could have easily yeah. come across as ominous, but yeah. uh, Wake Up Sleepy Jean just uh, really did sort of like work Comfort on me. You? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it works. Uh, you talk about these these breathe, these breathers, these moments in the movie where the film takes a break. Uh, I don't know. You, your mileage may vary uh, on whether this is too on the nose for you, but there's one where Rooney Mara is asking what a comma is uh, because of you know the literacy issues in the community yeah. we've talked about, and it literally is a comma in the movie. Yes, where Ben Wishaw talks about commas, and that, that was a moment where I was just like. I'm clapping. I'm standing up going, let's go, Sarah Polly. Let's fucking go, dude. A comma that is a comma. Ooh, I love it. Uh, Meta. Yeah, I like, I don't know. I'm I'm a sucker for that kind of bull crap. Uh, very, I don't know, a moment of kind of clever screenwriterly stuff that doesn't, I don't know, doesn't feel too on the nose, but you know, your mileage may vary, but I think it's a moment that works. All right. Well, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up this portion of the show. Quick recommends. Uh, again, this is... Uh, going to be very limited theatrical release. I'm not exactly sure what that rollout looks like. I know here in Oklahoma City, uh, if, if we get it, it's probably one to three theaters here that will actually show it. Uh, AMC Quail Springs um, maybe are one of our independent theaters or maybe our, our Regal Warren. Like Those, I think, are the only three options that might play this movie when it mm -hmm. goes into a theatrical release. So with that in mind, uh, is, is this for you one that you recommend people seek out or... What's your recommend, final recommendation on uh, women talking? No, I'm going to stand by that final recommendation uh, or that earlier recommendation I made. Like, yeah, fellas, sorry, you got to watch this one. This is a homework one, uh, but I don't don't take that the wrong way because I think this is a really engaging watch and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really entertaining. But I, you know, I like a talkie movie. One of my favorite, one of my hundred favorites is Twelve Angry Men. So I'm I'm sort of primed to love this kind of shit. Um, you know, if uh, you're already aware uh, that men be a problem, you don't need to see this. Yeah, you might just get bummed out by it. Uh, again, it's not that considering the subject matter, it could be a much bigger bummer. And uh, I, I think that that is one of this film's strengths is that it is there's a lightness to it um, that, uh, you know, doesn't uh, I don't want to that to undersell how how effective this is at dealing with its subject matter. But there is a lightness to the touch that I think is kind of hard, hard to undersell. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, check it out. Uh, if, if this sounds interesting to you, if you want to see some of the best actors working today, throwing serious heat, um, this is one for you. Uh, I was really impressed with some of our, um, older and younger actors who are not going to get as much, uh, you know, awards mm -hmm. talk, but yeah. the, the real like periphery cast is really impressive, just as impressive as our sort of our more central characters. Yep. Uh, Arthur, what about you? Is, are, is, is the strength of these performances enough for you to recommend this to people? 
Again, I'm not sure who this is for, but I think if you're listening to this, you think this movie is for you. Uh, I, I'm pretty cool on it. I would you know, come in probably at a three, three and a half out of five. Uh, but I think if I would recommend if you do want to see this movie, try to seek it out in theaters, because I think having a theatrical experience and essentially being forced to sit and actually watch this movie, because I think being at home, you'll be very tempted to look at your phone and get distracted. I think being able to escape into this, you know, in a theater um, really would allow you to connect with this material and for the people who need to hear it, allow it to sink in. And so that's again, where I'm at. I'd say matinee this, if you can, if it's playing near you, go, go give it some love, right? Give it a few bucks, make up your own mind about it. Um, And that's what I would say. I think, this would benefit from a theatrical screening because you can actually sit and watch it and be engaged with it. And I think the cinematography is is cinematic. Yeah, I, I think really the big screen is is going to make this film look really incredible. Yep, uh, I think it's a good looking movie. All right, well that are those are our thoughts on uh, women talking again from Sarah Pauly going into limited uh, release on December twenty third. Uh, so if, uh, from both of us, if you get a chance to see it, if it's playing near you, go check it out. Uh, and see how you feel about it and let us know if you do watch it uh, what you think about that uh we'll take a quick break right now uh, when we come back we're gonna be talking about uh noah bombach's white noise his newest release for netflix All right, and welcome back. Uh, I am still here with Dalton, uh, and we were able to go catch a screening of Noah Baumbach's newest film, White Noise, uh, for Netflix. Now, White Noise, at once hilarious and horrifying, lyrical and absurd, ordinary and apocalyptic, dramatizes a contemporary American family's attempts to deal with the mundane conflicts of everyday life while grappling with the universal mysteries of love, death, and the possibility of happiness in an uncertain world. We should note that it is based on the best-selling novel of the same name by Dom DeLillo from 1985. Again, directed by Noah Baumbach. This is his third collaboration uh, with Netflix following the Meyerowitz stories and Marriage Story, uh, of which uh, received much acclaim and uh, awards recognition. Uh, the cast here is uh, a couple of favorites uh, for him, Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig. Uh, we also get Don Cheadle, Andre Benjamin, Jody Turner-Smith, among others, it runs at two hours and 16 minutes. It is rated R, mainly for language. Uh, and it will release on Netflix on December 30th, as well as some limited uh, play in theaters. I think this is, yeah, getting sort of the, the glass onion treatment, right? Yeah. They're doing like a, a week-long medium release. Yeah. Not a full wide, but like bigger than a limited. Yeah, I think is, is what they're doing. So uh, I, I, I think probably a somewhat... Uh, anticipated follow-up i actually hadn't really heard about it until we got a screener uh for it uh but marriage story was uh, a major success i think for netflix at, at least from a kind of awards discussion and for noah Baumbach, uh garnered best picture nominations and some acting nominations as well um and so here he's working adapted material i think he normally works from original material uh, but he is doing adapted on this and Yeah, uh, it it is a very interesting movie. And Dalton, uh, what what were your thoughts on White Noise? 
really interesting movie. Uh, I, I wish I could find uh, Dom DeLillo's book from uh, one of the uh, audiobook apps that I use uh, that uh, lets me check stuff out using my library card because I, I wanted to get a little, uh, I don't know, I didn't know if I was going to make my whole way through the novel, but I wanted to get a taste for it because I there is such a a literary dialogue going on in this film like the, by which i mean like the dialogue itself is very there's a there's a prose quality to it you can feel stuff being lifted off the page and put in the film um and that's not always the case in, in you know page to screen adaptations um but you there's definitely moments where you're like oh well this feels do not advance the action according to a plan well this feels like something that dom delillo probably wrote right so i don't know i do feel like i'm missing something by not getting to engage with the the novel because i have a feeling it's much more successful because I like this movie, but I don't know that it works. And that's sort of where I'm at with it. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not the biggest Bombach completionists, Bombach completionist rather. I've only seen marriage story, so I don't really have much of a, a relationship with him as a filmmaker. Um, but I, I was interested to see what he would do with this big of a canvas. And I, I definitely think, uh, of the film, you know, it's it's three segments. This is sort of much like the novel it's based on, broken up into three sections. And I think that second section, the airborne toxic event, is is where the film is at its strongest, is where its big ideas and its sort of bustling family dynamic, you know, this is sort of putting you in the middle of this, this family with a lot of overlapping dialogue, uh, a lot of kind of family chaos type moments is trying to get you in this household and let you feel what it's like to be part of this family. That stuff's not always working for me, but when everybody's in the car together, I think it really comes together um, and, and kind of selling that, that idea of what's it like to be a member of this, this blended family. Um, but, and, and as far as like the death anxiety stuff and these kind of larger comments about, American culture, I really feel like are at their strongest in in that second act and in the film's closing moments. I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to undersell the ending of this movie, which I think is one of the best endings of the year. Uh, big fan. I, I think it really that really works and it is the most invented for the film uh, portion of the film from from my research. Uh, that is a you know a, a complete invention of the screenplay mm. that closing, uh, and I, I think when Noah is able to kind of spread his wings as a filmmaker and do something that isn't in the text, it really kind of comes a lot, comes to life and you start to see like what he likes about the novel. And you're like, Oh, okay. I get, I get what's clicking here for you. Okay. Um, again, I, I like all the ideas. Uh, we, we texted a little bit before, uh, getting together to talk about this about, you know, cause we watched this, what, three weeks ago now, four weeks ago. It was before it was, the, like that. it was before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, it was like November seventeenth or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a minute. So it's, yeah. uh, but you you mentioned that you haven't been able to stop thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, I I similarly kind of keep finding myself thinking about it. But I I think I appreciate it more than it actually works for me. What about you? Yeah, I, 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 again, it kind of goes back to that question earlier. Is one hand, I don't know who this is for, right? Um, two, you know, walking out of that screening, uh, I was just kind of you know, it seemed broken. And it also, you know, again, Bob back isn't a person I've seen a lot of their work. I've seen again, marriage story. I think I've seen De Palma, the, the documentary he did about Brian De Palma. Um, and that's really about it. I, I don't have an expansive knowledge of his filmography. I may have seen one other thing. Uh, and so I was expecting something more in line with that suburban drama that he's kind of, I think known for in, in that way of marriage story. 
And Squid and the Whale is kind of like that from yeah, what I understand. Yeah, just people mad at each other or working through stuff, right? Yeah. I, I think it's kind of what he's done. And that that is here, but it's also a much more heightened uh, experience. Um, and it, this is based on one of those books that they say is, how would they adapt this kind of a thing? Um, and there's a note from Dom DeLillo, uh, you know, where he is somewhat impressed with what Bombac is able to do with his work because it's one of those kind of unfilmable uh, books. I think people uh, note. So you can feel the film straining to get it all in there. It's overstuffed. Yeah. Like you can tell it's like that. I understand having not read the novel, but hearing that very common, like cr- both criticism of the film yeah. and also just like a, a question about the film from yeah. people who haven't seen it. I think it's fair because it, it definitely, I walked away from it feeling like, wow, you're trying to get a lot into this movie. Yeah. And it's definitely one I walked out feeling very cold on. But I, I, you know, I've seen a lot of movies, especially the last few weeks, and I just can't stop thinking about things about this movie. Um, there, are, there are scenes, there are interactions uh, with Adam Driver and Don Cheadle and things that they do. And there's a very uh, screwball uh, car sequence that takes place in the middle of this film. Well, the uh, car. Oh, oh, you're talking about. I thought you were talking about the car monologue at the beginning. No, 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 no. no there's, there's the the family are in their car the, trying to do something, and okay, yeah, and yeah. it's very mad, 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 mad world. Yeah. And there's just such an absurdity to it that I, I really do love because I think that's a big part of my sense of humor is just that weird non sequitur absurdity that's at stake here. I do think narratively it it fails in trying to put all this together. And you know, I think the puzzle pieces are there. I just don't think they fit together. It's like the jigsaw is not operating right. And so uh, I, I, I laugh a lot. I, I think about a lot. I think technically, though, uh, as far as we're talking, you know, there's a quote from Bombac and they, they sent this like press uh, art book uh, for the movie. Uh, but there's a quote he has. If you're going to name a movie White Noise, you have a pretty you need a pretty good sound design team mm-hmm. uh, and i think this has i mean sound design s- production design and there are this some looks good impeccable sets uh, i thought the costuming was great too the costuming is great uh from the house to the, the the college on a hill uh where adam driver's character teaches um the the amp grocery store uh, just incredible incredible production design cinematography is in, in you know great photography uh, the, the, the nunnery slash hospital they go oh to. Oh man, with the uh, the neon signs. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. I mean, those things just work for me so much. Uh, I think this is a great Adam Driver performance. I think he's a great comedian anyway, uh, from his bits on SNL. Uh, and what he's doing here, this like, I, I was watching it the other day, uh, and there's this way in which Ponchy Adam Driver is not too far from Steve Coogan, uh, with the haircut he has here, wow, okay. the ponchiness he's got going on. Uh, and, and the the gate of his walk. Uh, there's just so many things he's doing here. Uh, I think Greta Gerwig gets a little underserved, maybe, in this. I, I think Greta Gerwig's good, but I don't think her character... And I think that's part of her character is where she's at in her life, she's just kind of going through the motions. And I think that could kind of come off maybe as being underwritten or underperformed, but I think there's something to that. I think Don Cheadle's great. I think the ensemble of teachers at the university are fun when we get them. Uh, Jody Turner-Smith being another one uh, who gets a couple of moments with Adam Driver. I, I mean, there's so much about this that I love, and yet I don't know who I would recommend this to, and I don't know that it works, but I just can't stop thinking about it. 
Yeah, I think it's valuable in that regard. You know, it really is about a, a very specific American interaction with death and it, sort of the, the way like death anxiety is manifested in our culture. And I also think very Jewish as well, which is part of the bomb back thing. But, I, you know, I think a lot about the Coens. I think a lot about No Country for Old mm-hmm. Men, A Serious Man, uh, I could Inside Lewin Davis. Like it, it feels very much of a piece with those. And I think there's something kind of very Jewish to its humor and, and, and those concerns of death and living life and trying to reconcile that. I, I think it does some very interesting things with that. Well, I think, you know, so much of American Christianity or American culture is dominated by American Christianity. Yes. And so much of American like Christian theology is rooted in, in the rebirth and the resurrection yeah. and that acknowledgement of the death that has to happen and really there yeah. forever. And it's some, some, you know, I'm not, I'm not, don't want to paint with paint with too broad a brush. Cause like the <laughs> American Christian theology is big. Uh, but yeah, definitely to, to, you know, there's there's a rabbinical quality to that engagement with death. Uh, I see why you said that, Arthur. Yeah, there's a, uh, I like this book because there's some excerpts from the script, but there's a fun little back and forth that they have with some nuns. Uh, you know, what says uh, Babette? Uh, Greg Gerwig says, "What does the church say about heaven these days? Is it still the old heaven like that?" A nun says, "Do you think we are stupid?" We're here to take care of the sick and the injured. Only this. Uh, you would talk about heaven. You must find another place. <laughs> uh, then why do you have that picture on the wall? And the nun says, it's not, it is for others, not for us. Uh, Adam Driver's Drax says, you don't believe in heaven? A nun? And the nun says, if you don't, why should I? Jack says, if you did, maybe we would. If the nun says, if I did, maybe you would not have to. Someone must appear to believe. Yeah, Barbara Sokova, the German actress, uh, who I know from the 12 Monkeys TV show, uh, really great as the leader of the nuns who don't believe in God. <laughs> it's such a, it's such a good bit. It is. It's incredible. And it's like a great, like kind of last bit. It is one of the, the last major beats in the film. Yeah. And I, I think it really does sort of work as a, I don't know, like a thesis statement. I don't know that maybe that's too, too big of a, a moment to too big a word to put on that moment in the movie. But it does seem to be one of the maybe major points right yeah i mean the the, i mean when talking about ruminations of death i think afterlife is part of that and so i think you know if he's outlining in an essay here this is probably a a sub argument at least Mm -hmm. in in that thesis so um yeah i I think uh you'd kind of talked about uh, danny elfman is here uh working with uh bombback a Mm -hmm. a good score we also get an original track uh by lcd sound system called the new body roomba big fan of Uh, the new body roomba i've listened to it several times yeah uh man what a uh what a song uh there's a good track maybe one of my favorite in credit sequences of all time uh that takes place in this at the amp with this song uh but it i mean this is a song you can just jam to it's a bop yeah I'm not, I'm not a, a huge LCD sound system fan, but I know enough to know that I like it, and uh, yeah. this is a good one. Yeah, uh, uh, a, a certified banger, some might say. Uh, <laughs> some, some, some are saying. Some are I'm saying. I'm hearing more and more. Yeah. Uh, I, I tell you what, though. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, There are scenes in this I will just watch over and over again. I think there's some great scenes in this. Yeah, I, I am excited for this to hit Netflix because I'm looking forward to seeing it again because there, there are some... Um, some really fun moments. And again, like that whole second act, the, the, the airborne toxic event, like I think is just 
the standout section of the film for sure. I, I think sort of you, you alluded to the, the kind of mad, mad, mad world sort of road antic stuff that yeah. happens in that seg- segment. But there's also the big Spielberg face moments uh, where we sort of get uh, the awe and terror of the what they're living through is is they have to stare it in the face. And it's a really kind of great moment in the movie that I uh, totally worked on me. Yeah, it's one that in the in the moment. You know, it's in these three pieces, and I didn't know that they necessarily fit together in a way that worked. But the further I've gotten from it, I I, I think it does. And I don't know. This is just a weird puzzle box of a movie for me. It, it's not many movies kind of have this grip on me in this way. Yeah. And, and, you know, whether it works or not, I think it's just fascinating. So I don't know. Does it make you want to read White Noise? I've thought about, I haven't like actively been like, I need to pick that up, I, but I think I would. I'm kind of curious to see what the book is. Well, and I think that that's like, if if you haven't, if you're not coming to this as a, you know, with that background as somebody who's going to be like, well, how did, how did they adapt this? If you're coming to it with a fresh slate, that's maybe what the, the, the ultimate best compliment you could give a movie like this is, well, it's a good, it's a good trailer for the book. Yeah, and that, that's you know I think it does operate at that level pretty well because it makes me curious to like I, I really am a big fan of some of these these monologues that we get uh, these the, there's a battle uh, dueling monologues uh, dueling so lectures good. between yeah. uh, Driver and uh, Cheadle that I think is a really great moment and I want to I want to get into the text because I'm sure there's mo- quite a few moments like that yeah it's one I'd really like to go back and just look at closer. Uh, because there are so many moments, and and that's one that I've I've watched several times. Uh, there's a fun opening monologue about uh, the the meaning of the car crash in American cinema, yeah. which is which is from the cr- middle of the book, I guess. Okay, I, I heard that that's one adaptation choice they made was to move yeah. that to the start of the movie, and, and I think it, it's a great opening. Yeah, I do, especially because of some of the events that take place later in the film, and I think it definitely underscores some of that. So anyway, uh, final recommendation. Should people catch this? I mean, it's going to be on Netflix at their disposal, but it is a two hour and 15 minute commitment. And it is probably going to be unlike, I mean, unless you're a hard cinephile who's seen something like this, this might be unlike something you've seen before. Yeah. If you're, if you're feeling the holiday spirit, if you're, you're trying to get out to, to all the holiday releases, this could, this would be a fun theater set. I think it's it's got enough big moments that like it really does uh, earn getting that theatrical release that it's going to have. Um, it, it is, as Arthur said, not for everybody. And I, I am I do struggle to know who to recommend it to because I don't think I think Dom DeLillo heads are probably going to be, you know, a little adverse to this. Uh, which is understandable. And I, I think people who are not familiar with the text are going to have, as you said, like not a huge reason to like get into this other than, oh, I've heard of that book. People say I should read that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's worth getting to absolutely. Um, and uh, if if only to make sure you're locked in for that full two hour, 15 minute runtime, I think it's worth getting to that that one re- week release that they're going to do. Because I, I do think it's, you know, again, the sound design really is there. Uh, the score is there. Uh, and the visuals are there. So, you know, if, if your AV setup is great, stay at home. If you got 4k Netflix, yeah, all right. You're probably fine to stay at home and watch this. But if your AV setup is a little lacking at home, I would say it's worth getting out to the theater to, to really take this all in. And again, it is a little bit on the long side. So I think, uh, that captive experience might, Mm -hmm. might benefit. I don't know. I just associate Netflix with a, an incomplete watch sometimes. So anytime something that is a Netflix film is getting a theatrical, I, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I made a point to get to glass onion for this exact reason. I, you know, I wanted to, 
to get to see it big. There's also like this rebellious thing, like, oh, you didn't want to put this in theaters? Well, I'm going to go see it despite you. Or, you know, I don't know. I know what you mean. Netflix is weird. You want to prove to Netflix that they should be doing more theatrical releases at some level? Uh, (laughs) Film Twitter's just been putting them over the coals for laying millions and upon hundreds of millions of dollars on the table with Glass Onion. And so it's bizarre that, I don't know. That they, yeah, that they give it a one week release only. Yeah. yeah, it does seem like they're leaving money on the table. You're absolutely right. Anyway, um, for me, I so here's what I would say about this in theater experience. If your favorite Monty Python film is The Meaning of Life, I think you should see this in theaters. You nailed it. I think uh, if your favorite uh, Monty Python is not The Meaning of Life, watch it on Netflix. Uh, give it a chance. Uh, it, it is bizarre and absurd and silly uh but there's a lot of depth and heart i think to it mm-hmm. uh I, I think it has a great adam driver uh performance and again if nothing else skip to the end and watch the credits yeah i like, think he's almost miscast and that proves like how good he is because he does yeah. he works for me and i feel like he's not quite old enough yeah uh, so that i think that speaks to him and uh um Gerwig both are a little young for these characters, but I yeah, feel like for a family of four and ones, I mean, a couple are mid teens. Yeah, they should have cast older. Yeah, I really think they should have because they're both in their late thirties. Yeah, I, I just feel like we sh- we need somebody people in their mid forties to early fifties. Yeah, uh, but I feel like they both do work here, and I yeah. like them together. I agree. And you've you've unlocked the code. You you figured out who this movie's for. Yeah. If you have a lot of death anxiety, if you think about dying a lot, like I do, this movie's for you. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. All right. Well, that is uh, Noah Baumbach's White Noise again. It probably is by the time you're hearing this in limited theatrical release. It's on Netflix December 30th. Uh, check it out. Let us know what you thought. Otherwise, uh, those have been some uh, quick thoughts from us here at the Good Trash Media on the Garbage Shoot. Uh, we'll catch you next time. 